Well, Pastor Terry, we're back. Here we are. Season two of Talking Church. Uh, fun fact, apparently people liked listening to, or at least they liked clicking on it. Maybe, I don't know how long they stayed, but it was the most downloaded episode of season one with Terry Parkman. Oh, amazing. And so, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, your your award is coming back here on season two to talk further. And uh, uh, if if they don't like this episode, go back and watch the one go from back last, to the last season. Because it was so good. The um, stuff I made up on that last one is way better than that. <laughs> But last last time we talked a lot about just the the way that we're seeing culture going, how the, how we view you know the next generation in the church, things that pastors should be aware of. There was there was a lot that we talked about, and I'm sure we'll get into some of that today and expand on that. But uh, truthfully, just want to have a conversation about what what God's speaking to you, what God's speaking through our next gen ministry for those who maybe missed the first one or who. Um, you know, aren't familiar, you're our next-gen pastor overseeing um, lots of different areas, our internship program, youth, young adult, and kids, and have leaders kind of in each one of those seats that yep. oversee those departments, uh, as well as globally, you sit on a lot of next-gen boards and help out a lot of pastors with uh, just dreaming of what the future is. And um, you, you had a sabbatical recently, yes. um, which is something for, for the network. Every time uh, a pastor hits seven years of serving at River Valley, we give a sabbatical. And that's, you know, the weight of ministry and pastoring and, le- you know, leading people, it doesn't ever turn off. Even though there's, you know, we may, we may have hours, it doesn't turn off. So we always try and reward people with a sabbatical every seven years um, to, to just refresh, you know, spend time with their family, do what they love. And, um, you had a chance to do some fun things. And, yeah. um, so I'm sure if people followed you on Instagram, I'm sure you're posting all about that. 100%. Um, I yes. don't, I don't have social media, so I wouldn't know. Um, but, uh, you also were in, um, in Dubai. We'll maybe get into that a little bit about, um, uh, other ministries you're, you're part of and talking to next gen leaders from all over the world. Um, but first, before jumping into some of those fun things, what are, what are some things that coming out of this pandemic, um, that we're doing as a next gen team, as a church, um, where we're diving into to to you know develop deeper. I'm sure there's a lot of people that they're maybe youth pastors listening or lead pastors listening that are saying, "What should I be telling my you know youth pastor or kids pastors to be thinking about?" Yeah, that's a great question because that's kind of the million dollar question coming out of the pandemic. What do I do? What's next? You know, before uh, people came out of lockdown and before churches came back to in person. Like, everybody had speculations. People would say, we're never, ever going back to the way things were. And other people said, we're 100% going to go back. Church people like to operate in absolutes. We, we're either one sure. side of the spectrum or the other. And in reality, it's a hybrid. And I think sometimes we think to ourselves, like, man, maybe we need more digital. Maybe we need more podcasts. Maybe we need more of a YouTube presence. But the one question nobody's asking that everybody needs to ask is, how has being digital transformed our in-person expectations? It's called digital transformation. And it simply means that this, if I have a small group that I love uh, in our youth ministry or whatever, young adult ministry, and then lockdown happens and over Zoom, I all of a sudden have a more meaningful, deeper conversation in my small group. Then when I go back in person, I expect depth. And if I don't get it, I leave to go find that in another place. Mm. And I think a lot of churches coming out of the pandemic, especially next-gen ministries, say we need to become more tech-savvy. We need to have a bigger presence on social media. We need to have a bigger presence on YouTube. When in reality, we should be saying, what are people coming back expecting that they can't even quantify, that they can't even articulate? How can we dive deep, discover what those things are, and make those necessary changes in our ministries? That's the million-dollar question. Because coming out of pandemic, people are doubling down on an attractional model. You know, attractional model went good for these last 
20 years, and people build big ministries and big churches off of it. And coming out of it, people are doubling down on an attractional model of ministry, when in reality it shifted. Pandemic put it forward by five years, and we've now shifted to a more missional slash relational style of ministry. Now, this doesn't mean don't be good and don't be excellent, but it also means that the excellence at the attractional piece doesn't sustain. What does sustain is putting people on mission and getting them into a relational community within the body of Christ. Mm. So what does that look like across some of our ministries? Like what are, what are maybe some things we're implementing that are, are maybe shifts in that thinking? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that we had to ask ourselves is discipleship, really discipleship within next-gen ministries anyway, um, because we need to talk to anybody about what their discipleship model is. They'll say small groups. Awesome. Small groups are great. But statistically, seven out of 10 small groups are highly relational and not as formational. Hmm. And I talk, be- talk about that a little bit. Like what, what, and maybe you were going to, sorry, no, I but, but like, I feel like th- you're right that there is a lot of that relational. And I think part of that is because people are really lonely. For sure. But what, what's, what's like the key difference? Like, cause, cause in, in my mind, it's like every small group, it's like, oh, you hang out, you talk for a little bit, you read the Bible, you talk about it for a little bit, and then you go back to hanging out. It's like, what's maybe some yeah. of the differences of what you were saying? That's fine. And I think that's good. And I think we need body of Christ level community. Without body of level Christ community, you can't have accountability, right? And community without accountability is anarchy. So what we <laughs> want to have is we want to have body of Christ level community that brings in an accountability for growth in the believer's life. Vital. But that's not necessarily discipleship because we don't always allow people close to us, even though we're sitting in the same room, and we definitely don't always allow people into our personal process. And that's where discipleship really begins. That's where that transformative piece that takes place in our life really begins. And it really caused us, after the pandemic, in our next-gen ministries, to take a look and ask ourselves, how are we being intentional with how we model and scale our small groups so that people are not only getting in community, but they're also being developed in a deep way in a way that's reflective of what a disciple should look like. And that might mean we start asking different questions. Maybe that means we start actually answering questions that people are answering. I believe I said it last time, but too many church leaders are perfectly equipped to reach a generation a generation that no longer exists. Yeah. And so we have to ask ourselves, hey, what is what questions is this generation asking? What does the Word of God say about it? And how can we disciple them deeply with the content of God's Word? Where, where do you, like, learn this stuff? Like, like... <laughs> Is there like a secret Terry Parkman library that like only you have the access to that you have just the information? But like, I'm in serious seriousness, like for youth pastors, like mm-hmm. wh- where where are places to go to learn about some of this stuff? Because because what what I've seen in the church is like there's a lot of copy culture of like oh I'll just copy what they do and then I'll do it. But it's like if you don't know why they do it that right. way, maybe it's wrong for you. Right. I think it's very important to get a vision of what God wants you to do in your ministry and in your life, and that becomes a filter through which you take in information. So you'll start seeing things that you're looking for. You know, like when you look for a new car and you're in the market, you see every car on the mm, road. Yeah. And you're like, ah, you know, because you're because that's the filters through which you take in information. So for me, I want to see around the corner for what's coming down the pipe for the church. You know, in the Bible, it talks about the sons of Issachar in Chronicles, where it says that they knew the signs of the times and knew the course for Israel to take. God gave them that gift. And I really want to understand the signs of the times and help the church and help pastors and leaders know the best course that they should take. So... I will read maybe 15 articles a day um, from various sources. Um, I'll, 
I'll uh, spend time listening to different podcasts and leadership podcasts, listening to different theology teachings, and just take that in. And the filter that I put there will take in the information that I'm looking for. It's called autodidactive kind of learning. And what that means is you don't learn for the sake of, I'm just a learner and I love to learn. That ain't me. But it's learning for the sake of efficiency. What's the goal and where can I pull information from various sources to get a better picture of the goal? And I think understanding how you learn and take in information will help you to be able to um, pick apart culture, exegete culture, if you will, and really see what God is saying in the midst of it. Yeah, so you were just in Dubai recently, gathering with a bunch of different next-gen leaders, and you know, I'm sure there were others that were there. Was, there. was there themes that you saw from these conversations around the world? I think, you know, in America, for a lot of years, we were the, the kind of tip of the spear in terms of what's happening in culture. For and, sure. And that's changing. You know, it still is true in, in many ways, but it, it's, it's not always the case. And especially the younger you get, I mean, they're speaking the same language, video game culture. I mean, yeah. there's so many ways oh, that it's uh, other parts of the world are, are catching up or even leading in, in ways for the culture of, of uh, our young people. What were some themes that you saw from being in Dubai and maybe explain why you were there? Mm-hmm. Well, there are definitely some realities I think that we have to understand. Number one, Western culture isn't just in the West anymore. And it's permeating all the way to the East of South Korea and now influencing the West again. Mm. Uh, Christian culture is really starting to come from below the equatorial line. So the global South is now influencing the global North from Latin America to Australia and in how we do everything. And then you have a digital global culture to where people are tribalizing and gathering in communities across borders and boundaries of countries and meeting online, and they're forming their own communities outside of the physical one that they live in. Mm -hmm. And so when we met as a um, community of different leaders from around the world, certain things became apparent. Number one, we don't live in a postmodern culture or a post-Christian culture. We live in a post-truth culture. Mm -hmm. And that level of secularism is probably one of the deepest, most, um, most ugly struggles that that leaders in the church world are going to have to face in the next 10 years. And if we don't face it well, we will lose the church as we know it, and it'll become something else. Um, that right there, I think, is one of the biggest pieces in the world. The world is also getting younger. There is a lot more younger people. It's the youngest generation in history right now, entre- most entrepreneurial and innovative generation in history. And with that in mind, that generation is looking to create They are looking to make their own reality. So you have a generation looking to make their own reality, living in a post-truth culture. Then it's not what is the truth. It's how can I take my truth and form a reality around it, whether it's reflective of true reality or not. That's probably one of the biggest pieces that I think we'll have to wrestle with. And I'll say it like this. We have to teach people how to filter culture through the Word of God so we know what can be redeemed, rather than allowing them to filter the Word of God through culture. Hmm. What comes at the bottom of that is Christianity without the Christ, secular humanism. Mm-hmm. And when you have a secular humanist and a Christian sitting beside each other in church, they look the same, mm-hmm. act the same, talk the same, smell the same, everything, until one of them is triggered by something that's biblical but doesn't line up with their cultural standards. Mm-hmm. And people in the church will be like, whoa, 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 I thought you believed like me and and agreed with me, and in reality is they don't. And so that's some of the biggest things that we have seen amongst the next generation by gathering as a global community. How do we avoid that? How do we avoid the the... the I mean, I think there's a lot of people in our churches who are that. They, they align with us so many ways until they don't. How, how do we For avoid sure. that? How do we avoid becoming secular humanists? Yeah. Okay, so how not to become a secular humanist? Yeah, one-on-one. A, become biblically literate. 
Okay, one of the biggest things that we have in our world today is biblical poverty. That means not only do people not have access to word of the God, the word of God, but when they have the word of God, they don't take time to spend time in the word of God. So mm. they're biblically illiterate. 92% of church-going Christians don't read the Bible on a daily or even weekly basis sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you have to backfill basic Bible stories for the people that are sitting in our seats today. So biblical literacy is huge. What ways do we do that in next gen and to get that biblical literacy? Uh soap you know, scripture, observation, application, prayer, our church has soap. And so we ask everybody from cradle to career in next gen to really go through soap and start having conversations around what they read, sharing what they read. It's vital to learn not only how to read it and embody it, but how to talk about it. You know, what we do is we say knowledge, competency, influence. What we want to do is we want to create influencers for the kingdom of God, witnesses, as it says in the book of Acts. But you can't create witnesses out of knowledge, okay? You can't create influencers out of knowledge. Otherwise, every Bible college graduate would be an influencer, and that ain't, that, that ain't the case, bro. <laughs> you know that. So, what we want them to do is p- to become competent in the Word. So, SOAP is a great platform, and anything that they spend time in on the Word of God is a great platform to say, let's become knowledgeable in it, become competent in it, and then talk about it, influence, externalize it in a meaningful way. Yeah, you you said biblical literacy was one. I, I interrupted you. The, no, the, okay. the next levels of uh, yeah, if you, secular avoiding secular humanism. Yeah, yeah. Become biblically literate. Okay, number one. Number two, being engaged in a body of Christ level community. Being around Christians doesn't mean you're hanging out as the body of Christ. It could just mean that you're at Applebee's getting buffalo wings. You know what I mean? That's being, necessary sometimes. It is sometimes necessary. But being engaged in a biblical community is saying, you know what, I am going to allow myself to become accountable to this. I said it before. You know, when you become part of a community that doesn't have accountability, then it's anarchy. But yeah. if you have community with accountability, then that's transformation. That's where iron sharpens iron. That's where we begin to grow because of the example of the body of Christ holding us accountable. Without that, we are going to be left to look to other sources in regard to how to translate culture. Social media, probably. Definitely what we see through TV and the media, if people watch TV anymore, or YouTube or whatever else that we take in. So what we want to do, number two, is be engaged in a body of Christ-level community. And number three, we need to be bold. We need to ask, our, ask the hard questions. Why doesn't this hold up within, the, within a biblical context? And am I going to have the courage to process it and hold to my values and ask people to help guide you with, through that and ask people to help walk with you through that? Many times we become biblically literate, we get engaged in community, but we stop short of embodying the things of God's word that we need to embody to be able to stay sure. You know, it says in the book of Jude that people are going to be thrown about like every wind of doctrine, by every wind Mm -hmm. of doctrine, you know, thrown about on the waves by every wind of doctrine, and that is today. And so, we have to anchor deep, and those are three things that I think are necessary for that to happen. What do you think is the catalyst point for young people in where they're going to start seeing a divergence among their friends to where they're going to have to decide who they are? Um, you know, for, I think for a lot of adults, they, they pick and choose what, what conversation it is. Oh, you're going to have to have the sexuality conversation, or you're going to have to have this conversation. And, and I think a lot of young people are so far past those, you know, conversations for where it's sure. like, yeah, maybe I know where I land or I not. And I'm not saying they've necessarily made a decision, but those, that doesn't seem to be the, the, I don't know the right word, but like the pinnacle of, of, of deciding moment for people, it, it seems to be much, much earlier than that. 
for people. But is there is there a uh, I'm trying to think if I phrase this right. But is there a, a a thing that you see that young people are going to experience that is going to be a kind of Peter deny Jesus moment? That's going to be a moment where they need to stand up, or is it just so widely different due to the 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 culture, the secular culture? I think it it is has permeated that stand up moment has permeated society in in a myriad of different ways, whether it's sexual identity, uh, whether it's politics, whether it's social justice, whether, I mean, you name the topic, Mm -hmm. um, depending on what culture you live in, depending on what demographic you live in, one of those things are going to trigger and you're going to have to make a stand for your faith. And I think sometimes, and I don't even like that word, like you have to stand against, you have to stand, you know, the goal isn't to, to be known for what you're against. Mm-hmm. but what you're for. And I think that's where we miss this generation because when we talk to them about culture and how to stand biblically in in the midst of culture, we are often as adults look at the next generation and say, this is how to stand against it. This is how to fight the power and everything else, which is great for Gen X. My generation, man, that, that we loved it. Let's fight. Let's get back. Let's use faith as a rebellion. When in reality, we need to teach them how to be salt and light in the midst of a culture that is so desperate it, desperately in need of it. You know, we, we say, you know what, the, it's, it's been talked about, the church is like Jerusalem that never wanted to break out of its bubble. And so, God brought Jerusalem into Babylon, hmm. right? When he exiled them into Babylon to fulfill the mission and the call of God on that nation to be a light, to be pastors to the world. And since they weren't doing it, God exiled them and put them in the midst of Babylon. And today, the church is still trying to teach young people how to be Jerusalem separated from Babylon rather than Jerusalem in the midst of Babylon. Hmm. And I think we're too busy making disciples for Jerusalem when we really should be making disciples for Babylon. Yeah. And that right there, I think, is the whole key when it comes to really helping them to walk this out in an effective way. Yeah, I was talking with my dad about that the other day, and I said, we just did the uh, in January a uh, uh, soap sprint through the New Testament, and um, I said, a question that I thought about that I hadn't really thought about was, who am I in this story? You know, the, uh, the book, How Not to Read the Bible by Dan Kimball, he talks mm-hmm. about the Bible was written for you, but it was not written to you. Agreed. And there's a distinction to say, this was written to first century uh, Jews and to later to Gentiles. But um, I think there's that context of like, who am I in the story? I'm, and I was describing, and it's not a perfect theology, so don't butcher me, but it's like, maybe am I a Roman? Am, mm. am I a, I'm, I'm certainly not a, a Jew. And my dad's like, well, I always kind of thought of myself as like a Jew in the story of persecution, but he's like, I guess you're right. And it's like back and forth of like, as an American, like mm-hmm. where where do I fit in this story? And, and uh, you know, I, there's really not a, a perfect answer. But I think for a lot of us, even thinking about that, like who am I in this story? Mm-hmm. And because Jesus is the hero of the story, he's he's the Always. savior of the world. But it's like a lot of times we think like, oh, I'm the disciple, and you're like, well, they all were killed. Like <laughs> they were all killed, and the majority of them bailed. On yeah, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, wow, like all, yeah, all the the numbers they grow, they grow bigger, and then they grow smaller, yeah. and then it's like his apostles. It's like killed for killed for Jesus, and it's yeah. like Paul beaten, beaten again, beaten again, stone, thought he was dead, mm-hmm. murder plot, all these different stories, and it's like. I don't know if you have any any additional things to chime in on that, but like, have you ever thought about like, wh- like, who am I in this story? Two thousand years later, yeah, I think we're the thirteenth disciple. I think yeah. we're was it Matthias who took over uh, mm-hmm. Judas's yeah. place. We're the guy that came late. We're the individual in the story who wasn't wasn't able to follow to like be in that inner circle twenty four seven. 
but we're close enough and we love Jesus and we're passionate about him. And and because we have given our life to him, he has get put us up in a high place that maybe we didn't deserve or we yeah. weren't part of that initial group. Um, but what we have to understand about him, and a lot of people sleep on this, is he was built for what was coming next. Mm. He was in that upper room when the Holy Spirit fell. He was there as uh, there was a huge uh, exodus from Rome and f- from all these places in Israel and everything else to the four corners of the world. This individual was built for the next step. And I think we're him. I think we're built for the next step. We look at what's going on in society today, and we ask ourselves, man, uh, what am I supposed to do? God knew exactly what would happen, and he still chose to put us in the midst of culture today because what is inside of us is built for today. Mm-hmm. It's built for now. If it's a storm, then we're built for the storm. But we have to understand that we are that 13th disciple that is built for the next step of what the kingdom of God was going to be. And that's us. That's us. That's now. That's good. Wow. You you uh, you fascinate me all the time. These conversations, I love it. What um, What type of leader do you think the next generation is looking for? Wow. Uh, there's there's a lot there, and there's a huge back and forth because listeners will say, I'll say, you know, an emotionally intelligent leader that's willing to lift them up, be grace-filled, and guide them. And then you have members that will be individuals that will be listening to this podcast that will say, yeah, but what about those to hold them accountable and let them know what's right and what's wrong? And mm-hmm. really that tension in between is the tension that we have to live in today because this generation is a generation that is not afraid of hard truths. What we call hot topics are their everyday conversations. Yeah. You know, we make whole series around hot topics and they're like, come on, I just scrolled you this last guy. night. Yeah, yeah, I know, you old guy. Um, but what we have to do is we have to be willing to go through hard truths with grace and when the next generation wants to talk about hard truths, many people of older generations will look at that in, that young person and say, "Well, I'm going to tell you right now why that's right and this is wrong." They're not they're not asking questions to be combative. They're asking questions to discover. Yeah, I think we talked about yeah, it we last talked time. about it. Yeah, you know, the next generation is asking questions not to be combative or divisive, but to truly discover. So, I mean, think of it this way: you have a young person ask a question about sexual identity, and then three years later, they ask the same question to the same leader. And leaders will look at that and say, man, did you not get it the first time? Are you falling away from your faith? No, no, no. Their faith is fine. Their faith is intact. And yes, they got it the first time, but the conversation has changed. And now what they're asking is for how they can address it today, as Mm. opposed to how it was three years ago. And we miss the next generation when we try to lead from one dimension. Yeah, or maybe even test, test their leader. I think at times you, you get asked the same question and it's like, I mean, you know, we don't have kids yet, but it's like you get asked the same question, like, can I do this? It's like, no, the last 10 times I told you, you can't have dessert before dinner. Mm-hmm. Or you can't go play with that friend mm-hmm. at this time or whatever. It's like, but they test you like, is that still a rule? Is that yep. still a thing? And it's like, yep. they're, they're pushing and they're, they're testing kind of the boundaries mm-hmm. of where they're at. Um, what, what is, I mean, you, you have a chance to talk to a lot of, you know, next gen youth pastors that, you know, text you, maybe asking you for advice or, you know, Hey, that was a great talk. Um, what has surprised you in, in, in some of those conversations that you've had over the last couple of years in the pandemic, out of the pandemic and talking to church leaders? The victim mentality. Hmm. There is such a victim mentality in the church world today. Like the pandemic was done to us. Like somebody weaponized a pandemic and, and spanked Christians with it. And, and now we're the wounded and limping coming out of it as though we deserve some kind of recompense, which is such a load of bull, if I can say that, you know, <laughs> language. But it's such a load of bull. <laughs> yeah, th- we didn't bleep anything out there. He didn't finish <laughs> the, didn't, his sentence. No. Um, but at the end of the day, it really is because a, a church 
that acts like the victim in everything that they do will never receive the power from God because they're not looking for power. They're looking for rationalization for why they can remain the victim. Wasn't that what the Pharisees were doing in, oh, in Scripture? Goodness. It's like they, they were waiting for their military leader because they were the victim. Well, and, and here's the thing. Many times we say we want the Lord to show up in a way that we want Him to, but if anything, we see that Jesus has shown up in a way that people have never expected. And He's looking to show up in a new and a unique way today. And if we carry this victim mentality like it's happened to us and that we aren't built for this and that God didn't know what he was doing by placing us in the midst of this culture. If we act like, man, God's got to come and, and, and give us that recompense that we're looking for, that then, then we miss out on the good things of God. And so, it's that victim mentality because many young leaders say, man, I got this vision from God, but I feel like I can't move forward with it because I don't know what's around the corner. There might be obstacles in my way. And my answer to them is the same thing. What do obstacles have anything to do with the vision of God? God knew what would happen. He still gave you that vision. That means that vision that God has given you is exactly what this culture needs. And maybe it's the very thing that will knock obstacles down, not just for you, but for other people. Because at the end of the day, it's this. If I build my life and I restructure the vision of God because of obstacles that might happen, what happens if I actually get to that place and realize the obstacle was never there in the first place, and I built my life according to what I fear rather than what I believe God can do? Hmm. And, we, and that's a decision. That's not a circumstance. How many ministries, how many lives are built around what we fear rather than what we believe God is going to do and what believe in God's promises in our life? The choice we make there will determine how we grow and how we lead our life thereafter. Mm-hmm. What are your biggest fears in ministry? My personal biggest fears in ministry that I'll get in the way. Hmm. I think that it's probably it because I know my, and I think about this a lot, I know my propensity for getting in the way with what I think should happen or the way it should be, or maybe my experience with God, maybe that should be everybody's experience with God. Even as I talk now, you know, um, I say, you know, don't carry a victim mentality. Look, I don't know what happened to listeners. Maybe there's something very real. And yeah. yes, I would carry a victim mentality too if I went through some of what some people went through. But my experience is that of, I got 80 years, give or take. I'm not going to spend it feeling sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. In the same way, I also know how that can get in the way of somebody's experience. Sure. And so I don't ever want to get in the way of what the Holy Spirit is doing because I have a perspective or I had an experience and I think that should be everybody's experience. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm always trying to hold myself accountable to that and ask people to hold me accountable to that as well. I also think uh, another big fear in ministry that I have is that we will build ministries around culture more than around the Word of God to impact culture. And it's not just me, um, but it's anybody that I have an opportunity to come in contact with or lead or develop. Mm-hmm. When, you're not, um, when you're not pastoring people and leading teams, I know in your role now, it's a lot more leading people mm-hmm. um, as, as much as leading like a location. But uh, what are what are things that that you've found that have been lifting to you in terms of like ministry is ministry never stops mm-hmm. it never stops but it's like obviously you you talk about the articles you read and the podcasts yeah. you listen to but but are, like what are things that have I don't know kept you like grounded maybe you're just like no I always think youth and young next gen ministry but it's like I don't know what what are things that you'd say man this this has kept me kept me Terry and not Pastor Terry? Yeah, um, that's a hard question. I just try to be Terry, and if <laughs> I'm pastoring, I'm still Terry, sure. and if I'm at home, I'm still Terry. I just try to yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think my family, for sure, mm-hmm. um, it's such a gift from God. My, yeah. my marriage is such a gift from God. My girls are such a gift from God. And the greatest sermon I'll ever preach is how I treat my family. Yeah, And I believe if I invest 
properly into my family. Mm-hmm. So there would be blessing of God to do ministry. I mean, my family is refilling. I, I can't get these people who are like, man, I'm going to get off work and I'm going to go hang out with friends for four hours before I go home after the workday to see my family. Forget yeah. it. Yeah. I'm trying to get back to my family like crazy, but that really helps to keep Terry Terry. Uh, and also to not conform my life to an image of Christian culture. Hmm. As opposed to the Christ of my culture. What does that mean? Well, it means like, man, you we get in Christian bubbles and social bubbles, and then we start to feel like I need to act like, dress like, talk like, be like, put this music style aside, embrace this music style, start saying these. We do it. I mean, we did it before we were Christians. Well, some people don't know what it's like to not be a Christian, but um, uh, I, did, me. <laughs> <laughs> I did it before I was a Christian to where we try to be like, act like you everybody else. Yeah. But to truly be yourself and all that God has created you to be and not yes. allow a Christian culture to diminish that in any way, because sometimes Christian culture can water down. Now, mm. I'm not talking about the Christ of my culture. The Christ of, course, of my culture yeah. is like knowledge on fire. It's culture on fire. It's, it's the fullness of everything that God has intended but sometimes because of that community that brings accountability to our life, sometimes we also shape our everything else to look like that when that's disingenuous to who we are. So, Do you think that comes from just a, a lack of our own development process? That we're, like, we were talking about copying earlier. Mm. Do you think it's just like we don't know where to grow from and so we just we copy? I wonder if it has less to, uh, less to do with I don't know where to grow from and more to do with insecurity. Sure. I think many times we know what to do um, and we know where to go, but we're so insecure in taking those next steps. And I, and I said it before and I'll say it again, we compare ourselves to others. But if you're going to be a leader in this generation, you can't compare yourself to others because others have never been where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. And, what, and, they're nev- and others have never faced what you're facing. So this is the first time I've ever hold, heard older people say, yeah, this generation is facing something new. We've never had to deal with that. Back in my, back in my day... Back in my day in 1995, back in my day when I was in high school, uh, old people would be like, yeah, whatever. Our, our day was harder. Yeah. Older people are like, yeah, I, I've never had to face what these young people are facing. Mm-hmm. That, means, that means that I can't compare it to the past. I have to move forward with what God gives us and be a pioneer in today's day and age. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's such a good insight. I feel like, I feel like in some ways, though, older, older people give up because of that. Because it's like you, you know, I've heard stories. It's like, well, I didn't know how to do this math or these, whatever. I, it's yeah. not the same. And it's like, what would you say to someone who maybe is that person that they're saying, "Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not fully understanding what this, you know, current generation or younger generation is walking through," mm-hmm. but they maybe don't want to give up. For sure, you know, I think one of the biggest things is to understand that what's timeless trumps what's trendy. Hmm. I mean, trend changes, timeless, timeless things don't. You know, to be present with someone as they grieve is vital. And there is a God-level presence that we could usher in into that moment to help somebody navigate depression and anxiety, which is on the rise through the roof right now amongst mm-hmm. the next generation. To be a parent in the life of those who are fatherless or don't have mothers. To be an individual that could be a mentor and a guide putting up guardrails in a young person's life as they start to take the journey down that road of faith. Those are things that are very important. I mean, we've all had those favorite teachers back in the day that were like, we loved them to death. It's not because they were cool. It's not because they listened to your music. It's because they were willing to invest in you. And I think as leaders get older, many of them try to copy culture and trend to become relevant to the next generation, and that is cringy to the nines. Like, don't, Mm -hmm. don't be that. Just be who God has created you to be and be that person who will walk into a room. God challenged me to do this. 
don't walk into a room unless you have a cha- unless you have the intention of lifting them up in the, yeah. those in the room. And in the same respect, when it comes to next generation, don't engage them without the intention of lifting them up. Mm-hmm. Don't try to put them in their place. They were put in their place twenty four seven. Lift them up and, and show them that it's possible to be what God has created them to be. Yeah, it's it's interesting you said about teachers. The teachers that in school were like the cool teachers. I look back on my life and actually kind of cringe a little bit because I'm like, they were trying to get the approval of 13 year olds. And it's like, but then the teachers that look back that weren't, weren't cool at the time, but they really taught me a lesson Mm -hmm. that I needed down the road. And it's like, wow, they were willing to to tell me something that I wouldn't understand until I was 17 or 22 Mm -hmm. or 25. But it's like, those are the people you remember that made an impact in you versus like, oh yeah, that teacher liked the music that we liked or did the thing. Totally. And it's not, again, it's not bad if that's who you are, right. but I, I do think that there's, you know, you talked about the accountability. It's not for us to come in and just slam, slam people and be like, you know, it's this, you're so wrong and you're so bad. But I think that it takes somebody to be present with you mm-hmm. that's that sees those things because i mean every, anyone can see a problem in anybody mm-hmm. but not everybody can can give them their presence and then have the courage to have that conversation with them i think it's like one or the other it's like oh well i'm going to come in there i'm going to tell them how bad they are and then they're going to leave and they're going to change or the other side it's like i'm going to love them and i'm and i'm going to just be there for them but i'm never going to tell them you know right. what they need to do and right. it's, it's what you're talking about at the beginning it's that both and of yes. what that leader is and you know, I think that's the, the people in my life that I've, I've seen emulate that. It's like, those are the people that I want to spend time with. And yes. um, I, I think maybe that's a challenge to people. Be the pastor to next-gen people that they are going to love 10 years from now, not the pastor that they're going to love today. Now, yeah. it doesn't mean they can't love you today, too. For that's sure. not what I'm saying. But it's like, when I look at, I've, I mean, I've had a lot of different youth pastors mm-hmm. over the course of growing up here, but it's like, when I look at people and youth pastors and you know young adults pastors and people, it's they, they told me things that I needed to hear that were going to impact me. And so maybe that's a challenge for some people to that's stop, a good word. Stop, be, stop trying to also, stop trying to uh, impress your friends who are in ministry. It's yeah. like, man, I see that so much. And I'm in the network too, and, and it's a struggle. It's it's something that I even need to be accountable. That's, again, one of the reasons why I'm not on social is because it's like, it's so easy to compare. But it's like, are you are you so focused on trying to even like, t- I thought about taking all the one-liners that you said, because you have a lot of them. So youth pastors, you can use those. Terry gave me told me that he gave me permission to do that. But it's like, oh, I, I got that one-liner in social yeah. media. And it's like, man, your student couldn't care less about your one-liner. Yeah, all your all no. your ministry friends love that. And they're, they're yeah. posting fire emojis on it. Yeah. But it's like your student, you know what they wanted? They wanted you to give them a hug because they don't have a dad. Or they yeah. wanted you to be there at their game. Or they wanted you to go up and give them a fist bump and just mm-hmm. smile at them. It's like, mm-hmm. They don't care. Like, truthfully, there are way better preachers out there than all of us Like that have the best stuff online. And it's like, they don't care about that. Mm -hmm. They care about having somebody Mm -hmm. that that knows their name, that's going to look them at the eye, that's going to, when they're down, lift their chin up, that Mm -hmm. when they're happy, they're going to celebrate with them. It's like, that's what you need in ministry as a leader. And so I I think that authenticity, um, I felt prompted to say that, but it's like, that's the authenticity that young people, they don't see anywhere. True. They see all these people and they're living these lives and they're flying in their jets and they're doing everything. But then when they when they meet somebody, it's like their eyes are glazed over because they don't know how to actually have a conversation with somebody. Seriously. And it's like when, when you have a, a pastor or a person in their life who's like, hey, I'm, I'm here and I'm with mm-hmm. you and I'm not on my phone and I'm not on social media and I'm not trying to impress my, my pastor friends. How sad would it be that our students think that 
that they're that other pastors are more important than the people that their own youth pastor is pastoring, right? Or their own kids pastor is yep. pastoring, and they're they're going to see that. That's going to reflect their their uh uh you know view of the church in the future. Right. I have friends right now that are de- de- deconstructing the whole church because right. of the way that their youth pastor overlook them. Right. And I think that uh, I, I don't I don't want to overemphasize. I don't want to you know like come down on people. Um, but I, I do think it's a it's a warning to us all, big time, to say, man, we got to be the leaders that that our our young people need us to be, not who our friends want us to be. That's so, good. That's yeah. good, man. Man, well, uh, you, it was all prompted from you. You were just giving me the ammo. But uh, I loved it. Any last word for us today, man? Last word. You know, if I, this has been on my heart, and you know, I don't mean to be cryptic, but there's so much changing in culture and history right now. And it's not just the normal average, like what are the crazy things that happened this year kind of stuff. But I believe that what's going to happen in 2022 um, on the world scene and on the Christian scene and on the church scene, what we see is a lot of exposing of uh, people's sins, leader sins. We see a lot of people falling from grace, and that's always unfortunate, right? It's always unfortunate to see, but we have been praying for years for God to make a move in this nation, to make a move amongst the next mm-hmm. generation. And we got to know that Christ is coming back for a spotless bride, but he's also going to get the spots out before he does. Mm. And a lot of the res- what we see happening is a, res- is a result of God's faithfulness. God's not going to tolerate certain things in the body of Christ because he is about to bring in a move. Mm-hmm. And the things that are taking place in 2022, both in the church and in the world, is a setup. It's a setup for what God is going to do. It's a staging ground for what God is about to do. And I think it's very important for leaders to biblically align their lives with God, not just culturally, but biblically. Like, mm-hmm. you have devotions. Go deeper. Ask God, how do you want me to be, do devotions this year? How do you want me to spend time with you this year? How do you want me to change the way I communicate? What are the main topics I need to be communicating to the season to prep a church for a move? What, like, in the same way that we said, man, if I... I could go back and tell myself what was going to happen in 2020, and I believed myself. How far ahead could I be? Well, now we got a move of God on our doorstep, and I don't want us to miss that wave of God coming in because we haven't aligned ourselves. And mm-hmm. so, I, I mean, if I could say it yeah. as, as prophetic, quote-unquote, as that could sound, I, I really do believe it. All the signs are pointing and saying, yes, God is doing something massive. Mm-hmm. And he is positioning his bride, his church, to be able to ride that wave of his spirit as it crashes in. Yeah, we don't typically on this way, but could you just could you just pray for that 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 we would align ourselves to to that to what God's doing for sure. Okay. God, thank you that you're a faithful God. Thank you that you're a God that's more faithful to us than we are to you or even our walk with you. That your word says that you'll see to it that we stand before you blameless on that day. And there's a note that you'll do it even regardless of the uh, inconvenience to ourselves. You're more passionate about us than we are. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us to align with the move that's coming in. Lord, if you're asking us as leaders in the church to make sacrifices to prepare ourselves, Lord, let those be um, acceptable acts of worship unto you. Lord, help us to have those proper conversations and to develop everybody that you have placed in our hands, uh, our congregations, our small groups, you name it, Lord. Help us to be able to position them as well to receive and to be able to steward the move that you are ushering in. God, thank you that you have created us for this time, that you have made us for this time. I pray, God, I even sense as I pray right now that there are people that have been sitting on gifts and callings and talents and visions that you've given them, waiting for perfect conditions to take place. But God, the conditions aren't going to be 
be perfect enough. Lord, it's those things, it's those things inside of them that they release that will make the conditions perfect. So, Lord, I pray that your church releases all the gifts, all the talents, all the abilities, all the vision that you've given them into the world today to see change take place. God, we thank you and we praise you for your faithfulness in your name. Amen. Amen.